All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us here. Another episode of Dropping the Gloves. I love that you're here with us today. It's going to be a good one. Tim's here. Where else would he be? Hello, John. Thank you for having me. Thanks for bringing What's me with back. The delayed, the delayed. Hello. You got to be energetic, Tim. I didn't Thanks know you for... were gonna. I didn't know you were done talking. <laughs> no. Set me I'm up not. again. Do it again. No, we're not doing it again. But thank you for joining us, everybody. It's going to be a good one. It's a nice Monday morning here. What is it? 22 degrees in northern Michigan. We had the rink going yesterday at church. We were skating outside. It was fantastic. It was beautiful. I love this time of year when it's cold and it's sunny. It's fantastic. Couldn't be better. And you know what else is couldn't be better is when you get to review a good hockey fight. I'm talking an old school. Let's grab each other's collars and like throw until our arms get tired until someone gets knocked out. Isn't that fun, Tim, to just just relive those great times of those old school fights like Larry Robinson, Samanko, McSorley, these types of Grimsons, the Proberts. Isn't that great? It's the best. It's the best. Well, I got a good one for you. Ryan Reeves. Maybe the toughest guy in the NHL, one of, if not the, and a young up and coming kid. I'm going to butcher his name because it's something different. Bukanji Imama. They had a, they had a heck of a fight, Tim, yesterday. Did you see this one? Because it, it's going to go down in the record books. Well, as you know, I don't like violence. So I was very, very cautious. So you probably loved it. it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, why are we talking about this fight? What, what happened? Well, it's just there's a lot of things and everybody's talking about it because it was arguably one of the worst fights ever in the history of the NHL. There was that one fight that never happened. I don't know who the two combatants were, where they squared off, squared off, squared off. And finally, the refs jumped in between them. It was like (laughs) enough is enough. Right. This one, they actually engaged and nobody threw a punch. Not that landed. Imama tried to throw two. Maybe one or two, nothing landed, swing and a miss. He falls. Ryan Reeves grabs him. And that was it. Now, here's the interesting thing that I want to hear from you. Before we came on the air, we were talking about this fight. And you said it was embarrassing for Imama. Why do you think it's embarrassing for him? Because I think it's the opposite. I think it's embarrassing for Reeves. 
Well, it's hard def- for me to say because he's a friend of the show. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not great for either of them because they do kind of just they, it's it's like that fight you mentioned. They square off and they square off and they sort of set and then they reset and square off again. But if there's one of them that I thought looked worse, it was Imama because he's the one who throws that big punch, misses and stumbles over. And that's when the fight ends. And then Reeve starts laughing, sort of laughing at him, presumably. So I, I took it away as Imama looked like an idiot and Reeves just didn't take it too seriously. That's how I felt. There's a lot of layers to this and I hate them all. Um, <laughs> the first one is, okay. Reeves buries the Coyotes defenseman, a fantastic hit, like through the boards. Like it was right a there. heavy hit. You could, you could feel it. Imama comes off the bench. If you're going to fight, you have to grab him and fight. You don't go up and tap him, and then skate out to the center dot. I, I, I never understood this. In my eyes, you're making this all about you. And this is a big thing in that LNAH league that we talked about uh, last week, the Quebec Fighting League, the seniors. The game is all about the fights. Who cares about the scores? The fans go there for the fights, and the fighters know that, and they make a big show of it. They go to the center ice. They're doing their little dance. They're getting pumped up. And by the time they engaged, 30 seconds has gone by. This reeks of that, and I hate it. Anytime you make yourself or the fight bigger than the game, it bothers me. So Imama taps him, and he's like skating backwards to the center ice dot. He's throwing his elbow pads off. It's just, it's too much for me. But anyways, all that aside, he's doing it. And so I'm getting excited. I'm like, okay, I don't know anything about this Imama kid. He obviously is tough as he's challenging Ryan Reeves. They're squaring off. Reeves looks disinterested like he always does before a fight. He's eyeing up Imama. And then they just stare at each other. And I'm not talking for one, two seconds. I'm talking 20, 30 seconds where nothing happens. And it's it's almost embarrassing. They, they engage Imama's sprawls out and backs away and gets away from Reeves again. And they stare at each other again for another 15 to 20 seconds. Then Imama comes with a big right hand. He misses. And this is where I think Revo should be held at fault for this. And maybe he didn't want to fight. And it goes back to our codes of not embarrassing somebody, especially someone who's fighting, you know, Ryan Reeves, a guy heavy. He just holds his head down and smiles. You're embarrassing this kid. He's a young kid in the NHL. He's trying to make a name for himself. He's fighting Ryan Reeves. He he wants to do well. And and you're embarrassing him. I, I just it 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 reeks of Reeves did, didn't want to fight. Don't you get that vibe? Because if Ryan was really engaged and he really wanted to fight that guy, he had him in a bad position. He could have threw an uppercut. He could have pushed him away fast and landed a right. He had him in a pretty vulnerable spot. But he just takes the route of, I'm too good for this. I'm going to embarrass you. I'm going to laugh it off like you're a joke and you don't know what you're doing. What do you think? Isn't that pretty much what happened, though? I mean, maybe I see what you're saying where you embarrassed a young kid and, and not too long ago, Reeves was that young kid trying to make a name for himself and fight the heavies. And as he broke into the league, but that is what happened. And I feel like he responded appropriately. Well, you're right. It is what happened where Imama tried to knock him out with that right Superman punch, like really tried to hit him. But instead of laughing and 
throwing him in a headlock, why wouldn't Reeves start punching? Like in my eyes, if anybody looks silly in this, it's Ryan Reeves who didn't throw one punch. Stood there for a minute, and then the kid dove in to try to fight, and then Ryan grabs him and throws him in a headlock. Don't you think? I don't know. It it it, it just looks like Ryan didn't want to fight. And your mama wanted to fight. And then Ryan's embarrassing him by smiling. I'm like, what do you, why, why just fight him or, or just don't drop your gloves. Like if, if you want to fight, fight, don't then embarrass somebody like you're, you're too good to fight all of a sudden, or this guy's a joke because he tried to punch you. You, you, you're too good to fight all you. you, You're so tough. I don't know. I, I didn't, I didn't like the whole thing. So take us back to your, you know, entering to the NHL in Minnesota. And was, was Paros the fight that really put you on the map there? I would say, yeah. Yeah. So think about how far into the season was that approximately? Like, was that like halfway through or well, something? I, or? I got, I got called up midway through the season around Christmas. So that was about a month after that. So probably around January, February time. Was there a time during that or in the preseason or in the, in the AHL during that stretch where you were in a similar spot and like the, the heavies, which wouldn't take you seriously or tried to embarrass you like that. Like does that stuff happen? No, no. And it, and it just, the whole thing seemed just almost staged with the way they squared off. The, the only square off I can liken to that is with me and Bull Duke from Vancouver, where he just kept backing up to center and I'm chasing him. Like I'm trying to skate at him to get to him at center ice, but he's the one who took his bucket off and skated to center. And, it's almost a sideshow. It it really gives a bad name to fighting. That whole thing, that whole thing, I, I didn't like. It made me feel, I, I just didn't like it. It wasn't what an NHL hockey fight should be. To think back to the good old days with the Bruins or a team, I don't know who, how many teams you followed, but did you ever see something like that? Like this sideshow event where the person drops one glove, two glove, one elbow pad, two elbow pads, throws them aside, skates to center ice, like to, lines each other up. It was farcical. It was almost like you're writing a script to make fun of hockey fighting. Right? Because hockey fighting is supposed to be in the moment. It's supposed to be passionate, especially at that case. Like Ryan drills one of your defensemen. You're supposed to charge off the bench, grab him by the neck, and start throwing punches. You're not supposed to go up and tap him on the shin pads and go, let's fight, and then skate away. Like, there goes all of your advantage. I don't know. Dumb. It was a stupid move by Imama, and it was an embarrassing thing that Revo did. I didn't like any of it. Whatever. Yeah, it's a good it point, too. Garbage fight. Well, like, it was a garbage when they- fight. When they do the theatrics like that and they're backing up and they're shedding the, their equipment and they're going to center ice, they almost always follow it up with like a good fight and a good show. Like if you're going to put on that kind of like, again, theatrics, then you got to you got to follow it up, you know, and and it's usually stuff you see yeah, in those in those smaller leagues, the AHL, the, the fighting leagues where the guys just tear into each other the way that they don't really in the NHL anymore. So I think it was it was. If this fight had happened in the moment without the theatrics, without the the thirty second standoff and that that last ten seconds of just like trying to square off the big punch that missed and Reeves laughing, I don't think we'd be talking about it the same way we did because of the the lead up to it. See, I, I look at it, I look at it a little bit differently. Where I, I I'm looking at Imama and I'm like, are you really doing this for the team? Yeah is this is this really retribution for your defenseman getting hit? Or are you doing this 
for yourself. Because if you're really pissed off that your teammate got buried like that, you're firing in there and you're throwing punches. You're not going in, tapping them and backing up and just putting on the whole show and going to center ice. That's what I don't like. I, I just don't. And then I disagree with you with these senior league fights. They're all garbage. Go to the LNAH website, go to hockeyfights.com and watch those fights. For as much as the buildup that's there, there's never a good fight. And I watch those fights all the time. They're all garbage. The guys throw one or two punches and they just fall down. For them to be called like, the, 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 it's the toughest league in the in the world. These guys are all killers. They're all roided up. All they do is think about fighting. That's all they do. They work out for fighting. They're, sh- they're I'm going to swear I get so fired up. They're bad fighters. They're terrible fighters. Go watch any fights. They're just awful. And they fall down. And the, it, the idea of the fight is whoever gets up quickest and raises their hands and salutes the crowd. It's just so dumb. It's it's. I don't like it. Anyways, I didn't like that fight. Go watch the Marcus Foligno fight when he fought scumbag Liam O'Brien and beat him up. That's a good fight. Moose buried that guy. Pseudo tough guy, Liam O'Brien. I don't really know. I don't like that guy. We had a run in at St. John's at a bar. I, it, long story, but he's just a, he's a twerp. He's a little twerp. I almost beat him. I, anyways, John, All right. this is, this is not a story you've ever told. I want to hear it now. I don't even know it. Well, because it's just, you know, it was just a night in St. John's. And it's just, he, we played his AHL team. I think it was the Hershey bears or something. They came to St. John's. And I, I tried to tangle with him and it didn't happen. I saw him in the bar and he had like one of these tight shirts on and I was in a pissy mood because I didn't want to be there and I wanted to be at home. And I went up to him. <laughs> I can't remember what I said. Something to the like of, I think you better get out of here before I pound your face in something like that, <laughs> you know? And he, he just like, I don't know what happened. He left, but it was, I was so mad at the kid. I'm like, cause he, I think he stuck his tongue out at me in the game and, and he wouldn't fight me. And he gave me the tongue out in my face. And I'm like, there's no, and I think I went up to him. I was like, there's no cameras around. Are you going to have that same energy? Like, let's go. We'll step outside and so, like figure this out. And he wouldn't do it. And his teammates were there. And I think I was all alone. I might've had one teammate with me and that was that, but I just have no time for that garbage. I'm like, don't embarrass. And it was a case of embarrassing where it was a game. He got out of line. I said, let's go. You're the tough guy. Let's fight. And he stuck his tongue out. This might have been from the NHL. This might have been from the days of the show. I can't remember when it happened. And I tried to get at him and he wouldn't fight. And then the next time I saw him, I said, okay, cameras are gone. Let's go. It it was in the bar. That's how mad I was at this kid for embarrassing me on the ice. And I said, let's go. And his whole team was there. I'm like, I don't care. You're not so tough now, are we? You and your tight t-shirt. I will beat your doors off in this bar, Greensleeve, St. John's, Newfoundland. And he just said, no. And I was like, fine. Like, you're you're not tough. You're not tough. And that was the end of it. So, I don't know. I'm not proud of these moments, but they happen. It's funny. Just uh, It is what it is. It wasn't really that long ago, but it's it doesn't even seem like. Like, I know you've changed so much the last couple of years. I have a hard time thinking the John I know in 2023 would do anything like that. At a bar, I had know? a hard time separating on the ice and off the ice because when I played, I didn't like anybody. I really didn't. I, I I made it my point to not really be friendly with anybody too much, even though I bounced around teams. 
And you can ask the guys in Chicago. I got traded to the Rangers. The first game we played them like a half a week later, I wanted to kill everybody. I was asking everybody to fight. And I like, I think I buried Jamal Mayer's questionable hit. But anyways, it was, um, yeah, it was just wasn't my style. And uh, th- those days are behind me. But you get, catch me in the wrong situation even today. I'll, <laughs> you know, it never leaves you for good. It's always there. But yeah, Liam O'Brien, I don't like him. I don't like his style. But hey, he's make he's he's still playing the show. So good, good for him, right, Tim? Sure. All I'll right. Are we going to move on from this? Because I didn't even want to tell that story. I know. Let's. Uh, there's a really good article that I read um, this morning that I want to touch on, and it's something that we've touched a lot on this show, but I haven't seen it like put so clearly now. It's an article from Daily Faceoff by Scott Maxwell, and it's called "Why Do UFA Contracts for Big Name Defensemen Age Poorly So Fast." We we have not been kind to the likes of Seth Jones on this show, Oliver Ekman Larson, Eric Carlson b- before this year, even Darnell Nurse's name has come up, Drew Doughty's name has come up. And so he he also mentions Colton Pareko. He mentions um, even Morgan Riley apparently is starting to be mixed in with that group where these defensemen sign huge contracts and almost immediately they're not worth it. And so I think it's really interesting. And, and he kind of lays out these five or six points that I think we should kind of break down because this is a problem. And, and a lot of it is under the team's control. A lot of it's situational. A lot of it's just fluke stuff. Um, but I thought it would be fun to go down that list of, of why this happens. What do you think? Well, yeah, because I, I personally don't agree with some of the things he's saying. And I and I have my own opinion. But, yeah, let's let's go through it. OK, so the first one is the flat cap. And the examples he gives are, are Doughty and Carlson, who signed $11 million contracts in 2018 and 2019, respectively. And then obviously COVID happens, the the lockdown, the, um, the the schedule's all mixed up, the shortened season, all that stuff. And all of a sudden they're worth, they're, they're way, way, way overpaid. And, and, and this is something like the next, the next major defenseman contract for UFA was Alex Petrangelo. But because of what had happened a couple of years prior, he's only signing for 8.8. Instead of that $11 million that the other guys had signed. And so in retrospect, they look like such bad contracts, even though at the time, if the market had continued the way it was going to, it might have been looking better. So what do you think about that one? Well, I think it's it's spot on. Yeah, they, it, The same thing happened for not the high end forwards. They're still getting their money. But the, the tier two forwards, I think, would have started to sneak up to that $10 million range. But I think you've you've seen a cap even on the tier two guys. Maybe they're falling around the seven, eight million dollar range, whereas it, it, they would have continued to creep up. But it's just the nature of the beast, you know. You, you, I don't think those contracts were the cause of those guys not getting big money. I just think there's right. not enough money to go around, and a team's going to spend more money on a McDavid or a Matthews than an O'Reilly or a Nurse. So it doesn't mean those they're less valuable. But yes, I, I agree with that that point. Okay, the next one is. The aging curve. And this is really interesting. I hadn't heard this. When you think about a player's prime, most people would think around that 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. And I know it, if anything, it was getting a little bit uh, older as as we know more about about medicine and nutrition and plyometrics and like all this stuff that, that keeps guys bodies younger, more in shape, longer careers. But he argues that the age, the aging curve is actually your prime is younger. A lot of players are playing their best hockey in that 22 to 26 range, a.k.a. approximately their first four or five years in the league, unless they're one of those teenagers that joined a high draft pick. But most guys are making their entry to the NHL around that point. And he basically gives a, a few examples of players, uh, sorry, analysts, 
and hockey metric websites that all give that 22 to 26, 22 to 25, 25, all that is, a, is the peak. So when you sign a defenseman, GMs tend to think of like, okay, we're going to sign a 28 year old UFA to an eight year deal, knowing that we're going to get his best peak the next two to three years. And then when a steady maybe decline after that, but he'll still be an elite defenseman at the end of this contract. And if he's not, we have to deal with that because that's what it takes to sign him. But yeah. he's, he's, He's arguing that you you already missed their prime at that point. What do you think? Well, I think that's why you're seeing these deals earlier. You're seeing um, Adam Fox and Kale McCarr. And well, I think the one who started it was Thomas Shabbat, maybe. But the, all of these deals getting done right after the entry level contract were in years past. They would have another contract before they hit the cash in at 25, 26 years old. So maybe GMs are getting wise to this, but I I don't know. I think it has a lot to do with their style of play. I think it has a lot to do with the team that you're on, the minutes that you're getting. I don't know. You look at an Eric Carlson, he's having the best year of his career. He's 32, you know, and then Drew Doughty's 32 and he's not playing too great. I just think it has a lot to do with your environment. A, a defenseman that kind of goes against this is a Roman Yossi who, in my opinion, is getting better. He's 32 years old right now. I think he's played his best hockey the last two, three years. Whereas before, he was good, and maybe he's getting more time now with Ryan Ellis gone, with PK gone, with um, Shea Weber gone, and he's the guy now. But, you know, I, I agree with that, but there's caveats. Like, Dougie Hamilton's still really good. He's 32. Peter Angelo's really solid. He's 32. Dougie Hamilton's 29, excuse me. But I was going to say, he's not 32. He's 29, but there are... You know, like Brent Burns is 37. Carlson's 32. He's produced at a 70-point pace his whole career. So there are outliers, but then for every one of those, you're like, okay, Oliver ekman Larson, woof. Like, there, there's those guys who just bring down that average. So I, I agree the prime is getting younger just because players are more skilled. They develop quicker. They, they're doing more in juniors or college, and then they can step in and just produce right away. I, I I don't think their prime is over by 26 by any means. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And he gives some compelling data, but I have a hard time buying into that one fully too, just for those examples that you listed. The next one here, Jared Spurgeon's 32. He never really came on the scene until he was late, like 28, like really, Mm -hmm. really kind of embraced the way he plays. He was always good, but I think we're getting the best Jared Spurgeon right now. And I, I liken him to a guy like Quinn Hughes in Vancouver, who is 22, has that high offensive upside. He is playing really good, but I don't think we've seen the best Quinn Hughes. I think he comes into his own when he learns how to play a full game. You know what I mean? Like right now, I really think he's focusing on the offensive side. Spurgeon did that. I think Quinn Hughes, the best player, is is still to come. So, I, all right, what's his next point? Yeah, and you should go read this article. It's really great. The next one is the restricted slash unrestricted free agency structure. And his his point basically being is that the players have such little control for the first few years when they're on the ELC, and then they usually sign one or two year deal on an RFA system. So by the time they reach the the UFA status, it's the first and sometimes the only time that they have to go and cash in. So they're maximizing their value. They're willing to hit the open market. They they're not going to take a discount, and so they get paid a lot by someone that sometimes it's not worth it. But again, a lot, it's the only way that they can go out and get a number one defenseman is by giving them 10, $11 million. And so you see these albatross contracts. And so I feel like this one's probably a good point too. I know there's a lot of nuances and st- layer to that, but um, I thought that was an- another, what do you think? Well, yeah, that goes without saying, I think that's normal. <laughs> when there's a good player who is going to be a free agent 
And he plays such a crucial, crucial position as a defenseman. We all know how valuable those are. It's like, you're, you got to pay him. You got to pay to play the game. And when you look at the recent Stanley Cup champions, what do they have in common? They all have a very, very, very good, if not the best defenseman on their roster. So many Conn Smythe winners are defensemen because they are so valuable. Last year, the Avalanche, they don't win it without Kale McCarr. The year before that, Victor Hedman, Victor Hedman. I know they have an elite offense, but Victor Hedman was the guy. He won the Conn Smythe for Pete's sake. St. Louis Blues, they had a great defense. Alex Pietrangelo was the guy. The Capitals, John Carlson turns the corner and he's the guy. Chris Letang, the Blackhawks had Duncan Keith. The Kings had Dowdy. Like, I know they have some great forwards, but the key to a Stanley Cup champion is a strong defense. I will stand by that to the day I die. So you need these guys. Like, they're so valuable. And if you're a coach, what are you going to do? Like, if you're the Edmonton Oilers GM, are you going to let Darnell Nurse walk? Who are you going to get to replace him? I know he has one of these contracts that are bad, but it's like, are you going to let him go for nothing? You have to sign him. It has to be done. And I know that they, they're bad contracts right now, but who are you going to get to fill his spot? You know, he eats up all these minutes, valuable minutes. He looks bad at times, but I don't know. And that This is the the issue I have with this article where he just states all the negative. And it's like, okay, for every bad contract there is on the back end, you you listed them all. There's a Adam Fox. There's a Charlie McAvoy. There's a Roman Yossi, a Dougie Hamilton, a Kale McCarr, an Alex Pietrangelo, a Miro Heiskanen, a John Carlson, a Jacob Truba, a Thomas Shabbat, a Hedman, a Hughes, a Spurgeon, an Ekblad. They're all great deals. All of them. You you pick these couple guys who are bad or have had bad seasons, and then you light them up. And it's like Drew Doughty, he's lighting up this contract. He gave these guys how many Stanley Cups, Tim? Two. They're not winning without a Drew Doughty. They're not. I know they had a Regeer. They had Scuderi. They had a good defense. They're not winning without a Drew Doughty. I'm telling you right now, I don't care who they had on the front uh, front end. They're not winning without him. So, yeah, that's that. you pay to play the game. You pay for those cups. It is what it is. Carlson, he's the best defenseman in the league. What are you going to do if you're Ottawa, if you're San Jose? You want that guy on your team. So that's my only umbrage. Like you can you, you can pick and choose. Yes, I, I get it. These guys age really, really bad. But anyways, what's what's his next point? The next one is more straightforward injuries. Sometimes injuries happen. They're just not worth that contract anymore where they're not unhealthy enough to be on the IR or LTIR, but they're healthy enough to play and they're not living up to their contract. So that one feels more straightforward. Um, well, it's a very polarizing position too. Like you can be an injured forward and get by and not be that big of an impact. If you're a defenseman and you're injured, you're going to notice because you're going to be a liability on defense. You're going to get beat wide. And when you get beat, you get scored on. It's very, very rare when a forward loses his man and they score that that forward is, you know, glaring like, oh, no, it usually ends up as a two on one or a three on two. But it's a, it's a, it's a tough position, especially a guy who's playing almost half the game. It's huge. It's like the quarterback in the NFL. You are the guy. There's so much pressure on you. It's, yeah, I don't like this article anymore. All right, what's, what's the last one? The last one here is that teams struggle to evaluate defensemen properly. And this is really interesting, too, because he talks about 
how like with forwards, it's much easier to evaluate. It's the offensive production by and large. And and you know, you go further and down the lineup and you're looking for other things. But top tier guys, it's it's the offensive output. Defenseman, it's a little bit different. So you can you can be a very, very good defenseman without putting up a lot of points. But he talks about the, the need for advanced metrics and even the eye test. Like, did he play a great game? He has you know, a couple of block shots, a couple of hits, no points, but he can be the best player on the ice if he's doing his job well. And so it's a lot of uh, subjective subjective analysis, which is really tricky. And he, this, this one sentence I'll read here says, the final reason we'll touch on may have the biggest overall impact on why they age so quickly. And that's because teams struggle to properly evaluate defensemen. So the contract ages poorly because it was never a good one to begin with. What do you think on that? I don't know. It, it, yeah, I guess there's a broad range of what is a good defenseman these days. And I look at your Boston Bruins. Who's their most important defenseman? McAvoy. I, w- I would argue Hampus Lindholm. No, you can't. Why? <laughs> he's just, he's not, he's not as important in any factor you want to name. Defensively? McAvoy's better. You think so? Who gets more minutes per game, do you think? Um, I'm assuming McAvoy. I don't have it in front of me. No, no it's Hampus Lindholm. Why would Hampus Lindholm play more? What do you, where are you getting that data? I, <laughs> You don't even have it in front of you. Just NHL.com. Hampus Lindholm averages 23.19. Charlie McAvoy averages 22.36. So almost a full minute more. Okay. What's I'm just point? saying, there's a reason Hampus Lindholm has played more. Uh, uh, it, it's difficult to value defensemen. Seven years ago, Mark Edward Vlasic was viewed as the best defenseman in the NHL. He didn't put up any points. He was one of the most underrated guys to ever play multiple defensive. Olympic teams. Defensive defenseman. They're all a defenseman. Let's just say they're all defensive. They do they do different things, but at the end of the day, a lot of people would take Mark Edward Vlasic over a Drew Doughty just because he was so good defensively. He could just glue on that guy, and that guy would not score. He, you'd, he'd say, "Go take care of uh, uh, McDavid," and he would. Now his contract looks terrible, but it just I don't know. There's a reason these guys get paid a lot of money. It's not because they're junk. It's because they're worth it. And yes, they age badly. It looks bad. I get it. We can all talk about it. But these are elite defensemen. And they're at such a polarizing position that when they go south, it goes south in a bad way. You know what I mean? You can hide. You can you can hide behind a power play or a second line winger role and just shift your attention other elsewhere if, if you're a high end forward. If you're a defenseman, once it goes south, you're done. I look like a Chara. When he started to go south, it went sad. Like he he just looked like a turnstile. He just kept getting beat wide and he didn't look like the same player who was so dominant for 15 years. I don't know. But the, yeah, then you get the player like Tyler Sagan. He, you know, you, you just put him on the wing and let him shoot and you can put up, still put up 50 points, but he's not the same player he was when he was 22, but he's still productive. It's just a different position, obviously, but it it's such a valuable position on the back end where you, you can't, you can't play unless you can move. Well, isn't uh, Giordano another great exception? Because he played his best season at age like 34, 35, 36. When yeah. did he win his Norris trophy? Was it 35? Something like that. Like it was pretty yeah. old. Um, yeah. Yeah. It goes both ways. But there are more bad contracts for defensemen just based on that fact. Because when it goes south, it goes south fast. Where you don't see a lot of bad contracts with forwards just because you can hide them. They can be more productive. So I'll give this article that. When you look at the forwards, the top 25, 30 contracts, there's not many that stand out like, ugh, that's bad. 
Whereas when you look at the defensemen, it's like, oof, not good. Carlson, Doughty, Seth Jones, oof. Even, yeah, Ekman Larson, you go down the list, it's like, oh, gosh, they, they get worse and worse. So Vlasic, a Seabrook, uh, even a McDonough now, he's not playing to his, you know, where he used to be his standard. So good article, very interesting, but it won't change anything. It's not going to change how GMs value that position just because it's so important. So important to have a very, very, very good defenseman to calm everything down and to play 30 minutes a game for Pete's sake. They play half the game. That's huge. There's no forward who does that. And they play such a crucial position. Crucial position. Say that five times fast. Tough. All right, Tim. Are we done with this? We are. We can be. What do you want to talk about next? Let's move on. Let's do some quick hits, some fun stuff. And then we'll, I want to recap the standings and then maybe have top three, bottom three. Because we haven't done that in a while. It's about a week and a half past the trade deadline. Teams are trying to figure out where these guys fit in, how much of an impact they've had. We haven't had a top three and a bottom three in a long time. So we'll finish with that. Obviously, everyone knows who the top one is, the Bruins. No brainer. I'm interested to know who your next two are. But let's just go through some quick hits here. Cool. Yeah, so Pittsburgh Penguins' Nick Benino is week-to-week with a lacerated kidney. Apparently, he took a, a shot to the rib cage or something like that, and it was impactful enough that it lacerated his kidney, which is which is kind of crazy. Not a common hockey injury you hear too often. Where's um, your kidney? Is that um, to the left of your belly button? I don't know. Probably. To the right of your belly button? That sounds right, but I don't know. That's a tough one. I felt I felt hard in last night's hockey game. Something <laughs> I got to stick between my legs, and I expected him to just take it out because I was flying. I was going pretty fast, and usually you do the cur- courtesy thing and just pull the stick away. He didn't do it. I like fell so hard. My hands were handcuffed, so I just fell on like my, my. It was like a plank going straight forward. <laughs> it hurt. It's like, come on, man, what are you doing here? No, no penalty either. All right, moving on. Yeah, uh, the Boston clinched a playoff spot over the weekend, the first team to do so. And I think they just missed the window to be the quickest team to reach 50 wins, but still really good. They split with the um, Red Wings over the weekend. Red Wings won. Yeah, yeah, yesterday's game. They always play the Bruins well. They played them well in the first game too. But yeah, it's uh, the next domino to fall there. And Rasmus Sandin, you wanted to touch on him. What's he been doing? Well, he's been on fire. Ever since he was dealt from Toronto unceremoniously at the deadline for first rounder and Eric Gustafson, Dubas gave up on him. Basically, you have the stud defenseman. He held out in training camp because he wanted a certain number. He wanted his little, he wanted Lilligren type numbers, and he gave it to him. But then he just never, never gave him an opportunity in and out of the lineup. Just didn't really find a good footing in Toronto. Very skilled, very good defenseman. I said at the time of the trade, this was a huge mistake by Kyle Dubas. Out of all the great moves that he made, this one's going to sting because it's end up, it's going to end up being like a Sergachev's type thing where you're going to see him. He's going to flourish. Lo and behold, goes to Washington. John Carlson's been out. He's, he's having a fantastic start. He's played four games, two points a game, one goal, seven assists, playing fantastic. I know it's an early sample size, but boy, oh boy, this one's going to sting for the Maple Leafs in a few years. And you look over there and it's like all-star puck moving defensemen can eat up 30 minutes. And we're sitting here icing these schlubs and they're not schlubs. I get it, but he's a prototypical defenseman you want in today's game. And they just gave him away for Eric Gustafson and what is essentially a second rounder because it was Boston's first round pick, which is going to be the 32nd pick overall because the Bruins are probably going to win the Stanley Cup. So one of the few missteps by Kyle Dubas, 
I, I, Sandine's playing great. All right. Another thing I wanted to touch on. Gary Bettman is embroiled in litigation. Well, the NHL is right now with Steve Monitor's family. Um, Steve Monitor's family is suing the NHL for negligence on um, how they handled his injuries. The CTE to be the main one. Um, I don't know what CTE stands for. It's it's a head injury. Steve's family is arguing that he sustained it in the NHL. The NHL didn't take it serious. They didn't really do anything to help him. They just kept sending him out there. And the NHL made a statement. It was Gary Bettman. They said, quote, he was defending Steve Monador's wrong, wrongful death suit. The NHL says he was educated by the NHLPA reps and CT about CTE and potential long-term risks of head injuries. End quote. I was the rep in Chicago when Steve was getting his his serious head head injuries. I was the rep for that team. I was never missed a meeting. I was on every single call. I went to every off-season meeting. Never, ever, ever, ever were we told to tell our team about CTE. Not once. This is a bold-faced lie from Gary Bettman. He's a dirtbag for saying this. He's changing his tune. Always he denied that there was any link between CTE and hockey and this and that. Now, all of a sudden, information's coming out. And it's like, well, yeah, everybody has CTE. It's a physical sport. Now he's changing his tune, saying, oh, we we told the players. We told the reps to tell the players. It's a lie. I was the rep for that Chicago Blackhawks team. That was me. He's talking about me. It's a lie. I was Steve Monitor's teammate. Never once was I told from the NHL for anybody associated with them to say, hey, give your give your players a head heads up about CTE. And if I was, how stupid is that? You got to leave it up to NHLPA reps. To, and I wasn't. But his argument is even stupid in that regard. Where it's like, oh, you know what? We took care of it. We told the reps to tell the players. So we we had all our bases covered. Are you are you nuts? I hope he loses everything. I hope he gets fired. I hope he gets sent to jail. It's it's a bold-faced lie for him to say this. It's so incredibly two-faced. He's switching his tune because he knows it's not going his way. It's awful. I hope Steve Monador's family takes him to the cleaners. What they did to him is terrible. He was a good hockey player who just wanted to get on the ice, and they cleared him to play, and that was it. And they didn't take care of him after, and now he's dead. So shame on you, Gary Bettman. You're a disgusting, disgusting person for saying this. So I don't know. That's all I wanted to say. I just saw that and my stomach turned. I'm like, are you? And then I had to think. I was like, was I the rep? I was like, yeah, I was the rep for that team. It's just, it's, it's a bold faced lie. He's lying to you, the fan. He's lying to everybody. He's a, he's a gross person, that guy. He's a weasel. I've said it forever. I, I don't like him. I don't like him at all. Anyways, that's my rant. Is his is his power and control so strong that players and teams and retired athletes and everyone else won't come after him and won't say these sort of things? Because they no idea. I, I he got me traded and sent to the AHL, so he obviously has a lot of pull in, in the game. He's the commissioner of the NHL. Obviously, he has a lot of power, but it's just it's wrong. It's wrong. He's lying. To everybody, I hope he gets called out on this. Bring bring me to Canada to go. I'll, I'll 
testify. I was the rep for the team. Never once did they say, hey, you know what? Tell your players about this. And no, it's 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 a it's a lie. It's so bad. It's so incredibly bad. So was I just Mark, wanted to say that and get my stuff on record because it's it's not right what he's doing. Was he with the team at that time, the Blackhawks? Monty, yeah, yeah. I, I knew him very well. He was he, he was because he's dead because of not Batman didn't kill him, but he didn't help. He was a great man. Like he really was. Obviously, he had his demons, but. Boy, oh boy. Like, I remember running into him post his post career at some events and he's just, he's, he was doing great. And then he just kind of, you know, life happens and now he's gone. So, and for Bettman to say this, it's just, I, I feel bad for his family because the guy obviously had head injuries. I was there many, like he had a couple bad ones in Chicago where he just got lit up and I was like, Monty, what is happening? I'm like, you, you should not be playing. And then he gets cleared and he's back on the ice. So I don't, know. it's gross. I, I, and then I see Bettman saying stuff like that. It, it should not be okay. Like you said, people need to say something. People more powerful than me need to say something because what he's saying is not okay. He, he is not telling the truth. He's bold-faced lying to everybody involved in this situation. What are you going to do? And I know CTE is a thing. And here's the, here's the thing. And I, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole. I have my opinions. So well, I'll just I'll just leave it for another show maybe or for another time. This isn't appropriate to talk about, but he's lying. That's all there is to it. All right. What else are we talking about? Top Let's three, bottom on- three? Yeah, the standings update and 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 where we can you <laughs> can you can you go from that to that? It's just yeah. he's just such a slimy jerk. You know what I mean? He's just so incredibly slimy. I've had dealings with him probably more than most people just because of the whole All Star Game fiasco. When I was a rep, I was on the negotiating committee, so I was I've had dealings with this guy. Like I've never I have had personal conversations with him, and every time he's like Gollum. From Lord of the Rings. We're just like, you just look at me like, oh, gross. <laughs> so you're before, gross. Before the All-Star game, what was, did you already not like or respect Batman? Like the reputation kind of around the league like that? And then you were sort of like, well, while the rumors are true, when you, or was it, I don't know, like, what was the difference? I respected how he negotiated because he was super smart. You know, he had an agenda when he came into the 2020 2014 season when we got locked out or was it 15 I can't remember. 13. Maybe even before that 13. So he knew what he wanted. He he got it and I I saw it the whole time. I tried telling everybody like he he's going to want this this and this and he's trying to push us and he's asking for a mile knowing we're going to give him a half a mile at the end. So let's not even just offer like but he he got it. And so I respected him as a negotiator because he was great. He nailed it. He got everything he wanted. I didn't respect how he treated the players. I didn't respect how he treated people. He thinks everyone's beneath him. He he's just he's just a weasel, man. Like he's he's that's what he is. And then this, he knows he's back into a corner, so he's switching his his stance. He's just going against everything he said. And I don't know how a person can do that. You've said something for years, and then to be able to just switch on a drop of a coin and say, no, 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 I, I mean this now. It just means you're not a genuine person. You have no backbone, and you, 
you just go the way the wind blows. It's like, okay, everybody's going this way now. Yeah, this is this is where I stand. I don't respect you. You're a like at all. You're just a gross person. Like no backbone. I wouldn't trust him with anything. He's just a weasel. I wish I was more eloquently word wise to say how I feel about him, but he's just a a gross weasel. Gollum is a perfect thing. He's just like slimy. When I met with him and sat down with him, like you're so weird. You're so uncomfortable. He makes me uncomfortable. And I'm usually very unflappable. When I sit down with him, I'm like, ugh, like just weird, man. All right. My top three teams, I think. (laughs) Um, (laughs) <laughs> i'm sorry i how many how often do i go on a batman rant it's just bi-weekly every two weeks yeah something like that and by the way good to keep staying on that train of thought there was a poor kid in arizona who did like the rookie lap did you see that no after the deadline rookies get their chances because there's open roster spots obviously arizona didn't acquire anybody other than hurt players or you know players who are on the retired list so they're calling up a lot of young kids this kid gets his first nhl lap and the arizona coyotes make a big deal out of it they they post it on their social media it's like oh this guy's getting his first lap you know congrats nobody's in the arena nobody there might have been 12 people in the whole arena and nobody's saying anything they introduce the kid they do the big coyote howl nobody's clapping nobody's cheering it's so pathetic i felt bad for this kid like he's gonna look back at this video oh my first nhl game how incredible nobody saw it and the nh like they pumped it up they put the video out i'm like you're really not doing a good job on your social media team so it was just funny try to find it if you if you haven't seen it but it's just team in arizona really really working out great all right my top three teams the Bruins are obviously a number one. No brainer, right, Tim? Correct. I think they're playing great. They're, they're, they are the team to beat. They will have to just really implode if they don't win the Stanley Cup this year. It's it's theirs to lose. They're plus 103 in gold differential. What they're doing is insane. It hasn't been seen ever, 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 ever. My second team is actually quite surprising. It's from the Pacific Division. The Vegas Golden Knights what? are playing really good hockey, Tim. They are coming on at the right time. They picked up Jonathan Quick. He's playing good. A lot of players that I don't even know who they are are playing really, really well. So the Vegas Golden Knights are my second team. I, I just, I like the way they're playing. I think Eichel's going to have a good playoffs. I don't think Colorado is is the same team as they were last year. I really don't. They're the second wild card team right now. One minute, I think they're taking the next step. And then they lose two or three games in a row. I'm like, ah, who are they? You know, I know they're playing well of late. I think they've won six or seven of the last 10. I, I don't trust Colorado come playoff time. I think Vegas is playing great. I love their lineup. I think Jonathan Quick will be their starter come playoff time. I like their defense. I kind of like everything about this team. So they're my second team. Surprisingly, I know, I know. Very, very surprising. My third team, I go back and forth. I like Carolina a lot. I don't like what they did at the deadline. Toronto, I don't really trust them. I'm back in the New Jersey Devils train. I was off of it for a little bit, for a lot of it. They're my third place team. They pick up Timo Meyer. They're playing incredible hockey. They seem to have balanced out their offensive output. They're playing really good defense. The thing I love about them, they are the best road team in the NHL. 
They have the best record. They're 25, four and four on the road. And in the playoffs, when does the series start, Tim? When a team loses at home. Boom. Devils are incredible on the road. Absolutely incredible. I see them being a very, very hard out in the Eastern Conference. If the Bruins and Devils meet up in the Eastern Conference Finals, it's going to be a heck of a series. So that's my three. I got Boston, I got Vegas, and I got the Devils. There you go. That's really good. And I actually had a very similar list. I, Boston, obviously. Um, and I, so I, I skipped over Carolina because I, for the similar reason, and I, all the other teams in the East got not just a little bit better, but a lot better. And Carolina yeah. did, I don't want to say they didn't, did nothing. They had Gossip Spear, who makes four and a half million. So I know that ate into their plans, but all the other teams got a lot better. You lose Pacioretty and you don't replace them. I know they played the whole season without him, but that was a big addition that you were banking on all year. And then you did nothing when that option went away. So, that that I mean, they're still an elite team. They're gonna be they're gonna win a couple of playoff rounds, but I think they fall out of the top three for me. So I would also go to New Jersey as my number two. And my third pick, and I'm gonna jump down to number nine in the standings across the entire league, Tampa Bay Lightning. I don't, there's I don't care what that happens in the regular <clears throat> season, and they, they they're playing really well, but this team in the playoffs is still a team that nobody wants to place. I don't care where they are in the standings. They're, they're so good. You see Kucherov's fake slap pass the other day. Um, he's a good, he's a good player. I've heard of yeah, him. Yeah, it was pretty special. So those are the those are the top three for me. Even with Stamkos potentially, you know, being out with his yeah. knee injury, he got hurt the other day. You still like him? Yeah, I do. I mean, Hedman's, like, Hedman's out. You still like him? Kucherov, Hedman, um, point. Yeah, like they're just so good. Vasilevsky is still an elite goaltender, and and yeah, they're my number three team. I, I get nervous trying to pick them with the injuries that they've been piling up. It just makes me nervous. It makes me a little nervous. I know Hedman's back, but you're a nervous you know, person, getting, John. You're a nervous guy. I am. It's getting close to playoffs. All right. The bottom three. Now, this one's tricky because I, I really don't like any of these teams, but I'm just going to you know play it straight. My my least favorite team, I should say, because it is just a popularity contest at this point. The interesting thing is. These teams have been playing okay on the bottom of the standings. Like they've been winning some games, they've been competitive, but my my worst team in the NHL at this point right now is the Philadelphia Flyers. <clears throat> I think they're the worst. They've been playing the worst hockey. They <clears throat> like at least Arizona's been competing, excuse me. <clears throat> they've been they've been a hard out. You know, I think they beat Minnesota last night. So they've been playing some pretty good hockey. The Flyers are just hot garbage. Nobody wants to be there. Everybody's on the injured reserve. They're just bad. They're my worst team in the league right now. Right behind them, a close second is the Montreal Canadiens. Everybody's hurt, Tim. You posted a graphic on our agenda. We didn't get to it, but the amount of players that are hurt for the Montreal Canadiens, by design, potentially, going for Connor Bedard. But you got Price, Biron, Monaghan, Gallagher, Evans, Slikovsky, Caulfield, Arbor Shea, Kirby Doc, Armia, Barron, and Goulet. That's a whole team. That's a whole team out of the lineup. And I don't know. Maybe, maybe most of them are hurt. Maybe some of them, maybe they're just keeping out, but they're my second worst team in the NHL. My third worst team, it's it's tough. It's tough. I'm a, you gotta go with the Columbus Blue Jackets. They're dead last. For what they did this offseason, pseudo making a run for it, bringing in Johnny Gaudreau, signing who would they sign on on the on the back end to like a four million dollar contract? Was that Good Branson signing Good Branson, re-signing Patrick Line? They're they're having a terrible season. They're minus seventy five in gold differential. They're just they're just playing bad hockey. So that's that's my three. Who do you got, Tim? 
Yeah, um, that's a good list. I'm going to start with the San Jose Sharks. <laughs> it is now March 13th, and the Sharks have six wins at home in San Jose. Just six. <laughs> <laughs> it's really bad. They're 31 out of 32 in terms of points. They've got 50 points. They're just they're getting lapped by the top teams in the league, and they just it's too bad. And we we kind of saw this coming. I thought maybe they would shake loose of a couple contracts, but they didn't. So they're they're at the bottom for me right now. The next would be the Anaheim Ducks. They are minus 99 in goal differential. So basically over 200 goal difference from what Boston's doing to what they're doing, which is just hard to fathom, especially when you consider last year when they they they, they weren't quite in like that uh, edging on a playoff spot. But they were like, OK, this is a franchise that has taken a step with Zegris, with Drysdale, with all those young players all coming up together. And they just uh, what's his name? Not Macintosh. What's his, what's the kid's name that uh, Mac and something. Um, what are you talking about? That the, that that young stud they have on the forward, American kid. I forget his name. Anyway, they're uh, nice. We're killing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they have not played well. And then yeah, there it is, Columbus. Well, I feel bad for John John Gibson. That's who I feel bad for. I, I feel why? like it's Mason McTavish you're talking about. Yes, McTavish. Yeah, Macintosh. Yeah. I was close. It's an apple. I think John Gibson is playing fantastic. That's why I feel bad. You're wasting this guy's career he is such a good goalie every night he sees 48 to 50 shots and he's just being worn down on this bad team isaac lundstrom i don't know what happened to you john he's letting in almost so good last year four goals a game yeah because he gets 50 shots tim and so many grade a chances look into the deeper stats he's been playing fantastic hockey and I feel bad for him. He's got nobody to play defense. I don't know what's happening with him. A, a, a promising last year has turned into just a debacle this year. I don't know what I don't know where this team goes from here. I really don't. All right. You were saying the Columbus Blue Jackets is your last one? Yeah. And uh, I I go back and forth on this one too. Like, what's the best landing spot for Bedard? And that could be a whole discussion someday when we get closer to the summer, but they're probably going to lead that charge there. And I like Columbus. I like the city, but the team has really very little to be excited about right now. I agree. They're very, very bad. You know, it wasn't bad this podcast. I think we killed it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. It was fantastic. Send it to Gary Bettman. Um, if you can add him, that'd be fantastic just so we can listen to it. I really want him to hear this. I hope everybody has a good Monday. We will be here on Wednesday to chat again. Cheers, everybody. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. 